Guarding the Spirit's Gift of Unity Shalom! Thank you for joining us for the Sermon of Pentecost, May 23, 2021, from Christchurch, Jerusalem. As we commemorate the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit, Rev. David Pelegi reminds us that the Gospel is not merely about salvation and personal transformation. The Gospel is about healing creation and healing relationships between individuals and people groups. Unity is a work of the Holy Spirit. However, we must walk in love, repentance, and holiness to maintain unity, especially in these contentious times. Before we begin, are you ready to get out of the house? Ready for a trip? Join David Pelegi in Poland, August 9th through 20th, 2021. Take a deep dive into 1,000 years of Jewish history. We'll start in Warsaw and work our way to Krakow. We will visit medieval cities, castles, and churches to better understand the historical context of the Polish Jewish experience. We'll also touch on the Hebrew Christian communities that existed before World War II. Land cost is less than $2,000. Visit narrowbridgetour.com for more information. Narrowbridgetour.com Now, on to the lectionary readings. And we pray. Holy Spirit, sent by the Father, ignite in us your holy fire. Strengthen your children with the gift of faith. Revive your family with the breath of of love, and renew the face of the earth. Through Jesus of Nazareth, our Lord. Amen. Our first reading from the prophets. Our first reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 63, verses 7 to 14. I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, According to all the Lord has done for us, yes, the many good things he has done for Israel, according to his compassion and many kindnesses. He said, surely they are my people, children who will be true to me. And so he became their savior. In all their distress, he, was, he too was distressed, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned and became their enemy, and he himself fought against them. Then his people recalled the days of old, the days of Moses and his people, where he who brought them through the sea with the shepherd of his flock. Where is he who set his Holy Spirit among them, who sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand, who divided the waters before them to gain for himself everlasting renown? Who led them through the depths? Like a horse in open country, they did not stumble. Like cattle that go down to the plain, they were given rest by the Spirit of the Lord. This is how you guided your people to make for yourself a glorious name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. As in the synagogue, so in the church, there's often a response to a reading from Scripture, sometimes a prayer, sometimes a psalm. Our response to the reading are the words from Ezekiel, which we will say responsibly. 
is not for your sake, O Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, when through you I vindicate my holiness. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. A new heart I will give you, and I'll put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone and and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And then the nations will know that I am the Lord. Hallelujah! Our second reading uh, for contemplation is from Paul's epistle to the Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it serves. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this. And insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening 
their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for you are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Once again, come Holy Spirit. Come and not only fill this building, we pray that uh, you will fill each person here who seeks after you. And wants to bring you glory. Amen. Well, according to the Christian calendar, if you haven't figured out already, that uh, today is Pentecost. And Pentecost usually means that a congregation reads uh, Acts chapter 2 and um, considers the coming of the Holy Spirit on those early Jewish believers here in Jerusalem. And then very often, or more often than not, our understanding of the Spirit or our discussion about the Spirit and unfortunately our fighting and arguing about the Holy Spirit is framed by Pentecostalism. Yes, in the last 75 years, the charismatic movement, the uh, Pentecostalism, has swept 
through the church and brought uh, incredible blessing to millions and millions and millions of people. It's also brought, unfortunately, a lot of abuse and confusion and distortion of the gospel. Actually, tomorrow, for those of you who know anything about the Anglican calendar, we commemorate John and Charles Wesley. Now, the Wesley, John Wesley in particular, is the father of all Pentecostalism, or he's the father of the charismatic movement. That's because Wesley believed that after conversion, there could be a second encounter with the Holy Spirit. Another filling, or you might call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And virtually all Pentecostal and charismatic theology owes something to Wesley, the Anglican, if I may remind you, before he was a Methodist. And so Pentecostalism is like rock and roll. You may love it, as some of us do. You may hate it, hate it, as some of us do, but you can't ignore it. But what I'd like to try to do is shift the focus from gifts and tongues and uh, other perhaps current issues and uh, have a look at the role of the Holy Spirit and then uh, perhaps in an unusual place for most of us. And that's Ephesians chapter 4. But before we can turn to that chapter, I think there are two things that, two important things that we do need to keep in mind. One, the context of this holiday and the context of or this event, which we've turned into a holiday. The, content, the context, of course, is Shavuot. Yes, the Jewish uh, understanding that 50 days after the children of Israel left Egypt, that uh, they uh, received the Torah. They received divine revelation on Sinai. And that context becomes important for us a little bit later. I think secondly, even more importantly, the question becomes, how do we define this Holy Spirit? And very often, uh, in churches and Christian circles, uh, the spirit is a bit nebulous. And uh, people can associate him, believers who don't know their Bible very well, is oftentimes associated with um, inspiration, some kind of intuition. Um, he's associated with goosebumps or tingling on your toes. Some people think it, there might be um, gold dust. Or he can be associated with a cosmic force, right? Something out of a Star Wars movie. But may I remind you that biblically, the Holy Spirit is a person. 
right? And that Holy Spirit isn't so well defined, but we can know who he is by what he does. And throughout the scripture, the New Testament, uh, the Holy Spirit is given a role as a teacher. He is given a role as one who blesses God's people. He guides. He aids us in righteous living, or he enables us or empowers us to live in righteous living. And of course, most controversial in recent years is he gives gifts. And of course, we all debate or argue, do those gifts, are those gifts valid for us today? And just for the record, I'm not a supersessionist or, or a, um, I do not believe in the, the gifts have somehow stopped. Yes, but that's not the place where I think we need to look. So in Ephesians, if you have a Bible, let's turn there. And if we said the context of this giving of the Spirit is Shavuot, this Jewish holiday, this Jewish festival, what is the context of Ephesians? And so just may I read you a few verses uh, in chapter 1, uh, which is one of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament. And it says, Praise be to God, to the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. For he has chosen us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. What is the mystery in the book of Ephesians? Secret names of God. Yes, the location of the Ark of the Covenant. The secret key, the solution to the Arab-Israel conflict. What is the mystery? What is the mystery that Ephesians and Colossians and the book of Acts will reveal? Let's go on just a little bit further. And it, go, and it continues, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, I read that, according to his good pleasure, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Right? This is 
the mystery. The mystery is very simply that the God that Israel worships will become the God that the nations worship. And it was in God's, you might say, plan all along, yes, to be reconciled to the nations, actually through Israel and the Jewish people. This book is about the unfolding of that mystery. And it's about the healing of creation. That healing of creation doesn't come through good works. It comes through the work of the cross. But our text is chapter 4. And chapter 4 begins as such. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So Paul's done with his theology. And now he's saying, after I've explained God's mystery, after I, explain, after I have explained that it's God's intention to bring reconciliation between Israel and the nations, and by the way, between all ethnic groups and all peoples. After this broken relationship has been mended, and after the nations who enter into um, a union between the Lord, or with the Lord himself, all of this which happens by the Spirit. Then Paul says, now I want you to live a life that's worthy of all of this. I want you to live a life that's worthy of all that God is doing. And of course, all of this happens. The, the revelation of this mystery, the revelation of of. Uh, of, of Jesus to the nations. All of this, of course, happens by and through the Holy Spirit. And here Paul continues. He says, be completely humble, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so, we have a chapter, yes, about the way that we should live out this calling, about the way that God wants us to live. And, if, and as we go along, it might seem all kind of petty or not very important or very insignificant in comparison to this great, big, huge thing that God is doing, yes, in, in the world today. But part of what it means to bring a healing to creation is not simply that we ourselves are, rest, uh, are restored or that we ourselves are transformed. And we've spoken a fair amount about transformation here, in, um, here from this pulpit. And uh, we oftentimes think of transformation in terms of, you know, I don't cheat on my taxes anymore. 
And I stopped smoking cigarettes and I healed my addiction to playing the lottery loto in this country. And uh, boy, the Lord is really changing me and the Lord is really working on me. But let's not forget that this book wasn't written, this letter wasn't written to an individual. It was written to a whole community. Yes, and this whole community, again, needs to live. Yes, in a way that reflects who God is and what he's doing. And so virtually the whole chapter is about living together in unity. It's about getting along with people. It's about not building unnecessarily walls and division, yes, and picking arguments with people and bringing disgrace, you might say, or bringing desecration on the name of Jesus and actually hurting God's purposes, yes, to, again, to, be, to, to bring reconciliation to the nations, put all things under the feet of his son, Jesus the Messiah. Now, why is that so important? Because if, if it's true that God wants to bring healing, yes, God wants to bring restoration to us. He certainly wants to bring restoration to us as a community and as a people. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but after, immediately after the fall, yes, Adam and Eve fall out and their relationship breaks down. And then in chapter 4 of Genesis, we have the, the story of the two brothers. And of course, one brother, Cain, kills Abel. Then after the flood, we have, uh, you might say, dysfunction in the family of Noah. Huge dysfunction. And then it c continues to progress, and things continue to go downwards. And in chapter 11, the nations themselves are confused. Yes, and eventually at each other's throat. And you can see where relationships and community falls apart. That people are alienated and they have a false identity, right? There's no sense of eternal purpose amongst the nations or amongst the tribes or amongst the families or the clans and that the Gentile world is trapped in idolatry. Yes, and relationships, yes, between individuals, relationships between families, relationships between clans, relationships between language groups, Yes, it all becomes a struggle, if not a curse. And um, these relationships are more often based on envy or some kind of fear or some kind of anxiety or some kind of attempt to dominate. Yes, whenever you have two people together or two countries together or or two language groups together, virtually in every case, one wants to dominate the other, to be in charge, to be in control. And uh, 
course, there's petty concerns of one kind or another. And of course, we're just to, to reemphasize, we have, we have divisions along ethnic lines and racial lines, politics, language, football clubs. Yeah, I like Liverpool, someone likes Everton. And this is a problem that's eternal. It's a pro- it was a problem in the first century. And Paul tries to explain to the church in Ephesus, to the believers in the area of Ephesus, and his, his uh, understanding is simply this, that God, yes, brings different people together, different ethnic groups, or different racial groups, or people from different uh, economic classes, people with different personality types, and he creates out of them one new community and one new man as a way to bring us blessing. I mean, who wants to live in the curse and in the misery, yes, of the world in which relationships are nothing but struggle and difficulty and pain. And secondly, and perhaps most important, even as more importantly than that, for Paul, as we read in the book of Romans, the proof of the gospel is not simply that people can speak in tongues in their miracles. The proof of the gospel is that ethnic groups in this case, in that case, Jews and Gentiles, who are at each other's throats, can get along together and live together in unity and love. And that is the ultimate proof of the gospel. And in the world in which we live today, which is increasingly hostile and increasingly divided, as this is the message that we need to hear Because this, too, is the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's an important work of the Holy Spirit that we sometimes neglect. And we often forget about that one of the goals of the Spirit is not just to bless me and not just to empower me and not just to help me speak in a foreign tongue and to interpret a prophecy, but it is also to bring unity and blessing to a community and at the same time, bring glory to God and to show, yes, what the gospel can do when people obey. You see, here's the paradox, because we talk about unity. Yes, on one hand, the Spirit gives unity. Here it is in chapter 4. The framework is here, right? He says, be be humble, be gentle, be patient, bearing one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Why does Paul have to say this? Well, he has to say it because, you know, um, if we're divided, or I don't like you, or I don't don't agree with you, 
you're going to say, well, they're not in the body of Christ, or they don't have the Holy Spirit, or they don't have the right baptism, yes, or, you know, they don't have the right hope. They're probably not going to heaven, but we are, of course. So Paul has to say, this is what, this is the framework that gives us unity. And so God himself and the Spirit provides that. But at the same time, he goes on to say, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. It is something that's given. It is something that's a gift. And it's something that requires effort. Yes? Now, what's the effort? What, what, what does... Uh, I was going to say... What is it need, or what do we need, sorry, to maintain this unity? But perhaps I should put some folks at rest because uh, oftentimes when we talk about unity, people get very nervous uh, and their minds wander and they think of the Antichrist or the end days or the one world religion. And there can be a false unity and there can be a unity based on apostasy. But that's certainly not what Paul is talking about here. Yes. Um, many people are so worried about the Antichrist and the false, um, what they believe to be, you know, the coming one world religion, that they're willing to tolerate yeah, the most um, unimaginable Christian behavior. They're willing to tolerate division and uh, internal fighting and name-calling and um, slandering and uh, telling half-truths about people they don't agree with, all of which, which brings an incredibly bad witness to the world. You remember in the first century, there was a Roman historian who once said, you know, how those Christians love one another. Today, you know, many people in the world will be saying, isn't it amazing how those Christians hate each other? I think a very good example of this was the recent pandemic. Now, I don't care what you think about uh, the pandemic, COVID, the vaccine. Everybody is entitled to a different opinion. But the way Christians treated each other over the vaccine, I'm getting, vac I'm getting vaccinated, you shouldn't get vaccinated, was a horrible witness. Surely if you don't, if you think the vaccination is dangerous, you should disagree and make your point. So, We're not just making sure that when we talk about unity, yes, we're not talking about a false unity. In fact, Paul warns here, he warns against idolatry and immorality. And one of the things that's going to create unity amongst believers, yes, is that if, of course, we as believers hold to a certain way of behavior, or a certain standard of behavior. 
Now, what is Paul? What's that behavior? You might call it a halacha. What does Paul tell us to do? Paul tells us in this passage, he says, um, don't be infants any longer. Yes, grow up and become mature. He says, speak the truth in love. He says um, to, um, actually in five, which is, uh, he says, follow God's example and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So Paul lays out ways that we should behave. He tells us further um, that there are things that we should not do. Not only should we be kind and compassionate, but he tells us, he warns us about sensuality. He warns us about um, putting off falsehood and speaking truthfully because we are all members of one body. He warns us about sinning in our anger. Anger is not a sin, but very oftentimes when we are angry, we uh, inevitably end up sinning. Yes, he warns us not to steal uh, and to give the devil a foothold. He he tells us don't let any unhelpful talk uh, come out of our mouth. This is the basis of unity. And furthermore, I should add, and this is, I think this is also very important, right? That the, the second basis of unity in any community, in any congregation, in any denomination, is also, yes, having the right understanding and the right vision. As having that, having understanding what the calling is, right? what God wants to do. And uh, that common calling or that common goal is the gospel. You can't have unity, as Paul is talking about here, unless people share, yes, that understanding of the kingdom of heaven or what the gospel is for. Again, it's not, we've said this before, it's, it's not a, um, a program of social work or it's not going to visit, you're not going to visit our therapist. Some people have the idea that uh, unity is about being nice to each other. It's not what Paul has in mind here, right? It's being worthy of that calling. Yes, and that calling is centering around the cross. And then there's a certain behavior that goes along with this. In chapter 4 and chapter 5, Paul also tells us that we have to reject idolatry and we have to reject immorality. It can be very popular today with lots of different Christian groups, yes, who um, condone immorality. Uh, They will say, hey, let's all get together. Let's have a campfire. Let's roast marshmallows. Let's sing, you know, the national anthem of unity. You all know what it is. Right, Daryl? Kumbaya. Or Michael Row the Boat Ashore. I like it when we sing, sit around the campfire and sing the Erie Canal. Right? 
But of course, that's not unity. There's no compromise with idolatry or there's no compromise with immorality. Now, what happens when there isn't unity? Yes. What happens when we don't speak the truth in love? What happens when we give the devil a place when we get angry and end up abusing people or hurting people? What happens, yes, when we don't uh, share and uh, uh, give to others? What happens when we continue to stay immature and don't grow up into the fullness of Christ? Well, just as we started with the Spirit bringing unity, virtually at the end of the chapter, what do we read? We read that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And that word grieve is very powerful. It means to wound. It means to cause pain to the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, because people sometimes argue that God is somehow uh, impassable meaning God can't feel pain. But the, uh, the verses that we read in Isaiah, yes, I think are very instructive for us. Those verses are as follows. And I want to start with verse 9. It says, in, in all their distress, he too was distressed. Meaning that God feels, and I'm going to use the word feels in quotes, yes, but God feels the pain of his people. He feels our pain. He identifies with our pain. He's in, he's in stress or distress with us. What we're, when we're going through hard times, God is there in the midst with us. Yes. But it's also interesting. Not only can God be with his people in distress, but sadly, his people can cause God distress. Right? Because they rebelled. In verse 10, yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. And so he turned and became their enemy. And he himself fought against them. And so you may think it's insignificant. So, okay, so I lose my temper sometimes. Okay, sometimes I manipulate people. Sometimes I gossip and don't talk about people. But after all, if the Holy Spirit's just some kind of force out there, and Jesus is always going to forgive me, and he knows I'm a sinner saved by grace, people think, what does it matter? You know, after all, I stopped smoking. I stopped watching porn. I stopped beating my dog. Yes, I know I've got this, some problems with relationships, But it's exactly those problems that grieve the Holy Spirit, that wound the Holy Spirit. And of course, if we love somebody, Jesus, because this is the Spirit of Jesus, why would we want to wound them? It's that same Holy Spirit that's praying and interceding for us, sort of like, you know, biting the hand that feeds you almost. So grieving the Holy Spirit, something like disunity and inability to get along and to to love in a community, not only desecrates the name of God, 
But it also takes away, yes, from God's purposes, yes, or bringing reconciliation to the nations and the healing of all creation. And may I remind you that we pay an incredible price for this, an incredible price. I had the good fortune, I suppose, of uh, becoming a believer in the early 1970s when uh, the charismatic movement was very strong. And despite some of its abuses, um, God was working in the most incredible way. And I saw many healings and experienced several myself. I saw God change and transform lives, saw a huge number of people um, come to faith, um, deliverance from Satan, uh, miraculous provision at a time of need. And this continued for a while, and then it seems to have stopped, at least in most Western countries. I'm thinking many of us are saying, where's the Holy Spirit? Where's the move of God? Sin revival. And I know I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. A few years ago, uh, our pastor from Florida, Bob Shelley from Tampa, Bayshore Methodist, he was a leading light in the charismatic movement in the 70s and the 80s. And I said, Bob, where is the power of the Holy Spirit? Where is revival? Why is it that when we're praying for healing, you almost feel like you're pushing a boulder up the hill? And some people do get healed, but it would seem to me, maybe I was idealist, idealistic, or maybe I was romantic, that 20 years ago or 30 years ago that uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and miracles were so much greater. Yes, there's so much, uh, so many, there are many more than there are now. And Bob said to me, he said, the Holy Spirit has um, been grieved by us. He said in the charismatic movement, of which he knew intimately, he said there was far too much immorality. There was far too much bickering. There was far too much inviting. And it was grieved the Holy Spirit. Not that the Holy Spirit goes away. Yes. But the Holy Spirit, according to Bob's understanding, is diminished. And... Um, that's where Shavuot comes in. Yes, because Shavuot is the festival of the giving of the law, the giving of the Torah. And uh, Jewish people who read their Bible in a very, very uh, intense way uh, or a very detailed way uh, always ask the question, why did God wait to Sinai to, yes, to reveal himself? Why didn't God reveal himself in Egypt. Why didn't God reveal himself at Massa or at Meribah? Yes, that's when the people needed him the most. Why only Sinai? And you know what the answer is? The answer is, is that according to the 
very close reading of the Hebrew text, people stopped fighting. And the people stopped arguing and complaining and being cranky. And when there was a certain amount of unity amongst the people, that unity brought down the presence of God. And that presence of God, of course, yes, brought guidance and direction, and you might say salvation to Israel, saving Israel from, you know, from many things, using it in the classic Christian sense. And today the Jewish understanding, which I believe is a New Testament understanding, is that when a community endeavors to be united and to live with each other harmoniously, yes, there you have more of the presence and power of God. And you can say, wait a minute, where is all this found in the New Testament? And it reminds you that in First Peter, it says that men and women who are married should live together without fighting or complaining or kicking, you know, or abuse or manipulation or whatever it may be. I'm, I'm uh, expanding the text. Why? So that their prayers may not be hindered. So that their prayers may not be hindered. Or we could turn to the classic text in Acts chapter 2 or 3 or 4 or 5. And at every time it talks about the unity of the church or how they were together in one, uh, in one heart and one mind, how God was so powerful in their midst. God was so powerful in their midst. So brothers and sisters, what should we do? Yes, certainly we all want revival. We all want the power of the Holy Spirit. We not only want God to be glorified, but we certainly, all of us have needs. Our families have needs. Our communities have needs. Yes, we need God's provision and His healing. We need deliverance, yes, from from the evil one. Well, I think part of what we, part of the, not solution, but part of the response is, of course, found in Ephesians chapter 4 for us. And before I read and conclude with these verses, I think of, uh, we all need to examine ourselves carefully to make sure that we're not sinning against the body. Yes, and to ask God to expose those things, again, maybe from our fear or from our anxiety or from our envy, or from our desire to dominate, whatever it may be, to expose those things, yes, which bring hurt, first to the Holy Spirit, and then to each other. So after a period of examination, there needs to be repentance. And then we conclude with Paul's words, Because repentance and forgiveness is oftentimes where we stop. Yes, we like God to forgive us, but we may come week after week with the same sin if if we recognize our sin at all. And here's what Paul says. It says, um, talking to, um, to those believers, 
He said, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Yes. Put off the old self and put on the new self, that new identity, yes, that we have in Christ, not just as individuals, yes, but as a community. Father, we pray that you'll help us, Lord, to recover, yes, what true holiness means. Yes, that holiness is in unity, in the unity of the Spirit. Lord, all of these things may be somewhat abstract to us. But Lord, we pray that we'll never forget that these sins, as small as we may think they are, do wound your Holy Spirit that lives in us and does bring desecration to your name and does hurt or set back your desire, Lord, to bring healing to, the, to all creation and for you to be reconciled to the nations. We pray that uh, at least our community here at Christ Church will indeed um, be able to exhibit that unity between different personalities, between different ethnic groups, between different political opinions. And Lord, first and foremost, Lord, to bring glory to you. And Lord, to have your blessing and the blessing of that Holy Spirit reign amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.